Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I feel like it's been a minute since we've done more current event style snorkeling through uh, what's what's been happening this week, this month, you know, passing TikTok and Reels trends, pop culture news, what I've been watching on TV and whatnot. And so I called in reinforcements today to talk with me about really all the things I've been wanting to talk to another adult about since I've been hanging out with a baby. And I called one of your favorites and a dear friend of mine, Sammy Sage, one of the co-founders of Betches, Betches Media, who has hosted or been a part of so many of the podcasts in the Betches universe over the years and has had me on as a guest. And I love having her here. And she's just the perfect person to kind of shoot the shit with about what's going on in pop culture. And like me, she loves to kind of analyze it to a level where we're like, what's what's the deeper meaning here? So we have a really fun convo that like starts with us just casually talking about watching old seasons of Southern Charm. But then we kind of talk about how there's a bigger cultural conversation about age gaps, for example. And then we kind of briefly touch on Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner. And the reason I'm mentioning this in the intro is because as I record this, the morning of Thursday, September 21st, news just broke about them. It was kind of quiet for a minute. When the divorce was initially circulating around the media, it, it really seemed like Joe's team put it out and was angling that Sophie was like absent in England when she was like on a job. And then there were like pictures that leaked of her like partying when she was like with her cast at an after party. It was kind of this relief, really what seemed like a frustrating effort to paint her in a certain light, an effort to inform what what looked like he was seeking in a custody battle. And it was just a really unfair depiction of who she was as a mom. And I think a, I think most of us were like, absolutely not Team Sophie. I taped over my Jonas Brothers sweatshirt, uh, you know, in solidarity. But I, I kind of, they put out a joint statement that was very poorly edited, I might add, just like get a Grammarly subscription or something, you know. Um, then we hadn't really heard anything. And then this morning, it comes out that um, Sophie Turner sued Joe Jonas for the wrongful retention of their two children. Anyway, well, I'm sharing this because we kind of flippantly talk about them and like the ring cam (laughs) and that she was, you know, spotted out with Taylor Swift. But for context, this was before we knew what was going on today. And I just think this is an interesting development that I felt like sharing in the intro. Um, But basically, she, Sophie filed a lawsuit against Joe saying he won't return the kids' passports and is not letting them to return to England. And in the documents, shout out to Kiki Monique, the talk of shame, who like summarized this. Um, apparently, Sophie found out about the divorce when the media announced it. And the parties had an argument. So Sophie and Joe had an argument on August 15th of this year. On or about September 1st, 2023, Joe filed a divorce case against Sophie in Florida. And then on September 5th, Sophie found out through the media that he had filed for divorce. And Sophie is basically saying that her and Joe decided that England was going to be their forever home like earlier this year. They had already enrolled the kids in school there and activities there. And as of April 2023, England was their home. And if you can even find interviews from different magazines that Sophie did in like 2022 being like, I'm slowly dragging my husband back to England, how badly she wants to live in England. Like they have a house in Miami, but she wants to raise her kids in the UK. 
apparently they found a home. They started the contracts with the seller to purchase the home July of 2023, the completion date of December 2023. And they so they had agreed to purchase this home. And then on July 31st, Joe had to leave England in order to start the tour. So since Sophie was on set, I don't know if it's a show or a movie, for a temporary period of time, since it was so consuming filming during the day, they decided the kids would go with Joe on tour because he had more free time during the day than Sophie did. And then her filming ended September 14th, and then she would return to New York, get the kids, and they were going to go back to the UK where they had allegedly established permanent residency. But now with the divorce, apparently Joe is not sticking to the original plan and he won't return the passports to her and he won't let her return to England with the children. And then I just saw another lawyer, again, is all alleged, I don't, you know, we're like all civilian journalists and that can be dangerous for we're all like synthesizing and distilling what we think it's saying. But I think this person was a lawyer. And this person said that Joe Jonas filed his complaint on like the eve of his kids losing their custody in Florida. I don't know how she knows that again, allegedly. She was saying that there's something with custody and Florida. The kids would only be under the jurisdiction of Florida if they had established residency there within the past six months. Pending that they don't have residency or, or domicile established elsewhere. Again, I'm probably explaining this wrong. But since they lived in Florida until like March, April. And like, this is why Sophie's going into the timeline about when they agreed to move, when they found a house and rolling kids in activities, so on and so forth. I think to make it clear that they intended to or did establish residency elsewhere and that this shouldn't be up to the Florida courts. Now, I'm trying to figure out why this distinction matters. And like, this is what I don't know. If they're if you're dual citizens and they debatably lived in the UK, but divorce was filed in Florida like, yeah, this is why I think this is getting so complicated because of where the established residency is and what court is going to handle the divorce and custody arrangement, right? I don't know. Regardless, it's 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 messy. It appears like very strategic on Joe's part. What I think is interesting about it is that it seems like Joe leaked all this stuff and then like, you know, had a back grid paparazzi shot with his kids. He's trying to kind of seem like father of the year vibes. And that was weird and suspicious. Sophie never said anything. They put out their amicable joint statement. Then she's seen out with Taylor Swift, which we talk about later. And then like a day or two later, the media gets a hold of this lawsuit she filed against Joe. I don't think Sophie's team like released it or a statement. I think people found the lawsuit. But then Joe's team like released an essay, like explaining every like minute thing in defense of Joe. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like further proof that like Joe's team is angling so hard. And she really still hasn't spoken or put out anything other than going out with Taylor Swift, which is just an amazing power move. I don't know. I'm just kind of like disappointed that these moves Joe is making and the whole thing's suspicious and weird. And I really don't understand a lot of it. And it's complicated. And by the time I recorded this, I didn't have enough time to research it. So I probably shouldn't have even gone into it. But just wanted to clarify. Yeah, we we didn't know all this was going down when we chatted. And it's worth noting that if we're doing a current event pop culture snorkel, this is the most current thing that's happening with those two. And we'll see what unfolds. But anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sammy. I think it's super fun. We cover a lot of ground. And there is a point toward the end where once, okay, if you haven't seen Succession and you plan on watching it and you don't want spoilers, just stop listening when we get to that part because we pretty much talk about that for the most of the rest of the episode with the exception of like the last three or four minutes when I think we talk about the Taylor Swift vault songs. 
So if you don't want any succession spoilers, just tune out. And I, also, I apologize. Like this, I've won in March and April, this would have been more relevant to discuss, but I just got into it during Matt leave and Sammy had a recap podcast about it. So I had to like take my chance to talk to somebody about it. Um, but other than that, it's all sorts of topics related to our, th- you know, vague generational musings and uh, what's on TV and happening in the world and on our For You pages. And I hope you enjoy. We'll get to the episode after these messages from our sponsors. Love ya. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I'm a person that will get jazzed about like starters and sides and get creative there. But like, I don't love shopping for meat at the grocery store. I don't really understand how to navigate the quality and cut and the price differentials. And ButcherBox is an easy way to find high quality meat and seafood you can trust and to just keep in your freezer and have at your disposal at all times. And this has been so helpful for me in this particular life phase to just already have it conveniently delivered to my doorstep in my freezer with free shipping. And it gives you a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value like 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. All humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. Lately, we've kind of been back in our ground beef moment, uh, just in terms of like, okay, we've got ButcherBox ground beef on hand. We can make tacos. We can make burgers. We can make a ragu sauce. The world is your oyster, or more specifically, pound of ground beef. I've also been very into the salmon. There's a certain funk or like weirdness I have with fish, especially preparing it in my home. And I can speak to ButcherBox's quality being unmatched, even going from frozen to thawed to prepared. And I just think ButcherBox's convenience, cost, taste, quality, I mean, it's all just makes too much sense to me. And you can get a curated box that they choose or customize and pick what you want. I love the ground beef. I love the steak. I love the chicken wings the bacon, and the salmon. Did I just list everything ever? (laughs) But anyway, ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash BeThereIn5 and use code BeThereIn5 to get $20 off your first order. That's ButcherBox.com slash BeThereIn5 and use code BeThereIn5 to claim this deal. If you're like me and always trying to navigate the likes of a, a skincare routine, I'm interested not only in topical stuff, but how to like support my skin from within, if you will. And this is where Ritual comes in and their new product called Hyacera. There's a gradual loss of hyaluronic acid in the skin as we age. And over time, the skin thus becomes you know, thinner, drier, more prone to fine lines, etc. And Hyacera is a once daily supplement from Ritual designed to promote skin support from within with clinically proven ingredients, which are called Ceratique and Hyabest. And in a clinical study done by an independent research lab, Ceratique proved to help reduce fine lines in 90 days. In a clinical study done by the supplier, High Best significantly improved skin luster and suppleness compared to the baseline after 90 days. And you can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule and a soothing vanilla scent. The, the like scent and ease of taking it is one of my favorite parts about Ritual products. And as always, made traceable, non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial colorants, and third-party tested for heavy metals and microbes. Promote skin support from within without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a skin supplement you can actually trust. And Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start Ritual or add Hyacera to your lineup today. That's ritual.com slash be there in five. All right, everybody, please welcome back Sammy Sage to the Be There in Five podcast at this point, kind of a regular. Welcome, Sammy. Oh. Thank you. It is it is an honor to even be considered in, in the regular status. I'm really... Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. You, I love when we talk. 
There's so much to talk about right now. So much to talk about. So we have a lot of, lots of Bravo right now. I know, a lot of catching up to do. Somebody, <laughs> somebody just followed me. I'm sorry. This I can't believe these people exist. Whose name on social media is uh, Dixie, like Dixie D'Amelio, last name Normus. Dixie Normus. What is wrong with people? Like, what are these? Is it a bot? Is it a real person? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I I'm flattered that I still follows. got it. Uh, you do. I, <laughs> I get a lot of weird follows too, but yeah, I, I think comedy for some people just is lost on me. I, you know, the whole double name thing, like, no Subjective. offense. Yeah, not my favorite <laughs> genre of comedy. And you're anyway, a punter, so... I know, and it really does co- – it creates a pause when I he- see wordplay I don't like because I'm like, I never want to be this person. <laughs> right, and look what I have – Look, speaking of oh words, my look what I have right here. I have I finally know. reached a point where I might have some free time where I'm going to get oh to gosh. read it. I'm Can so only excited. be so honored. I'm, I mean, I'm just excited to have some free time to actually read more as yeah. you we'll – we'll get into that. But do you think it's funny that for both of our jobs we can – we can actually not have a lot of free time, but at the same time be fully caught up on like Real Housewives of New York and Salt Lake because that's like kind of part of yes. being in the know. <laughs> yes. And and sometimes you have to triage. You're like, I know I'm going to be talking about this, this and this, but not as adoption. And right. so I have to watch these things. Yeah. So I, I mean, I will say I'm not 100% caught up, caught up on Salt Lake. I'm at halfway through last night's episode. But okay. everything else, I think I am caught up on. And I just what? started rewatching Southern Charm. From not the beginning? Re-watching. Sorry, not rewatching. I watched the first season in the beginning. I didn't watch anything else. Now I'm watching it from the beginning. And that is... Oh, it's crazy. That is some dark shit. It's really dark. And it's kind of Vanderpump level in terms of having the kind of organic drama that makes for really great TV. It's just... It's not contrived and it was while it was happening it was genuinely shocking oh yeah i mean i'm watching katherine dennis from a 2023 point of view but i cannot even imagine what it was like for her when this was happening in the first in the first round so oh yeah but and at the time we weren't people hadn't turned on thomas people were like team thomas they're like his family built a bridge he must be right Uh, okay this is my this is my thought on the show these are my two main thoughts on the show one is that many pretty much every conversation that happens in it could have also happened in like 1805 pretty much the same Mm -hmm. way yes okay kind of perverse the good old boys club and being a southern lady and it's all so bizarre yeah so bizarre number two it is i think the show with the worst people I are like the actual worst mm. people in life. Like it is some like Murdoch coded shit. Yeah. And it is just, it's something about it is so much more real world dangerous in my view than any oh, of the yeah. other shows. I find it borderline triggering because I feel like I went to college with so many people like Shep and there is just like a really alarming and gross, like it. it's, it's this level of confidence these people have where he's just like 
smugly talking about how other people need to earn mailbox money, acting like he earned it all. And he's like this financial genius. It's just like in the drinking and the partying and the gaslighting women and just the general like douchebaggery of this kind of Southern gentleman trope that thinks they can treat women like shit, but it's okay if they speak positively about their mom and open doors. Yes, it, it is sinister is what yeah. I is what I have. Um, I'm, I'm determining and I'm about to be on season four. So, the, the most yeah. like, insidious part of chivalry like that is that it's it's this performance, these optics to uphold this image of a gentleman and the behavior is such a shocking disconnect. It, it really doesn't sit well. Right. Well, last night I watched them. They um, they turned on Catherine, of course, because she was calling out something that had happened and the way that they demonize or no, this is what it was. Craig was defending Catherine for the way that people were like, you know, outing her. And look, she does not do great for herself. Right. But the way that they then switched on him, like how dare you turn against us as a, how dare you believe her over us? This the very much like, yeah, like this, this, it's almost like you're not, you're breaking a code and therefore yeah. you are it's it's worse than than just a disagreement. Yeah. And that show is really really seeing it through that lens is just kind of wild. But I will say Cameron Eubanks and her thoughts on motherhood kind of groundbreaking to me. Relatable. Relatable. I, I loved Cameron on The Real World San Diego. I was happy to see her back. It's sad she's not on it anymore, but she is a funny character. She's kind of the, what What do they call it? Voice of reason. The chorus. The, the Greek chorus. The Greek chorus. Is that the right term? Yeah, I think so. Like she's yeah, a we're, sli- like narrator slightly outside, has some perspective on it. I would consider her to play that role up to what I've, up from what I've seen. Oh yeah. That, so you're still on the first season. You have a lot. No, no, no. I'm on. I'm on almost on four. I'm on three. Oh, okay. Season three reunion. Like Vanderpump, it's about to go downhill. But I'm sure you could have imagined. I mean, nothing's as rich as the first two. Th- How could it get crazier than that? No, it can't. It can't get crazier than one and two because it's just, it's wild. Along the lines of Thomas and Catherine, do you feel like there's a cultural conversation right now that is new about age gaps? Yeah, I do. I think that. It's it's not okay. It's not that age gaps haven't haven't always been a conversation, but I think that now people are seeing them not just as a matter of fact, and that they can be more reflective of something beyond just a, a number of years. Yeah, and I mean, it's Catherine not an, and T. Rav have a yeah. thirty year, thirty years. Yeah, but what's 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 interesting is that like she doesn't. She seems like she's really into him. And you see moments where you where he treats her in ways that you're like, oh, I see why she is going along with this. And she has two of his kids. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like you you see the flip side of, you know, what she get pregnant when she was 21. It's like I think the conversation is more so about how, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds are still like girls and you're just, you know, entering adulthood and I think there's something sad about not to project this onto her but like I hadn't really met myself at age 21 and what I would go after would have maybe have been all the things people fed to me as holding value my whole life and in her more established family that was probably status and wealth and 
this relationship was probably encouraged and I'm sure she wouldn't have pursued it if she was a little bit older. So there is a taking advantage of the, that naivete and, uh, you know, that is really hard to stomach about age gaps. Completely agree. And I think that's actually what has become more more acknowledged. I think that's really the core piece is that it's not just an age gap between 35 and 48, you know, it's an age gap between someone whose prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. Yes, right. And they it's not just 18, 19, 20. You know, it's not about whether they are technically legal or if they're out of college. It's like 23, 24. You know, that's 25. There's there's a reason Leo DiCaprio won't date above it. And not to say that someone can't quote unquote meet themselves before that age, but I do think there is a certain development that the right. human brain will go through or won't. Yes. And I agree with you. I think that that is completely true. I think that we have there is a difference in what we went we went for when we were that age. But also, I don't remember if we've had this conversation, but I've definitely had it. I'm not sure if I've ever had it on a microphone, but that I feel that um people who are maybe like 10, five to 10 years younger than us got in the time since we've been married, there was a grace or in long-term relationships, there was sort of this grace period post-college that was opened up that was became in vogue that we did not have before you were looking to settle down. Yeah. Whereas like when we were going into college and in college and even right after it was like, you are look. You should have been. You should have been looking. Like if it didn't happen in your high with your high school sweetheart, yeah. like you, you should be finding someone in college. And then if not, then you should be finding them immediately after in the real quote unquote real world. That was the narrative. Now I feel that there is a narrative that basically is like you should not be looking to settle down until you've been acclimated to the quote real world a little bit. You should not try to stay in your old relationships past their due date just to make them work. And I think that now I feel a little bit envious that that generation got to date just because they, you know, that that's was the intention that was set at that age. Right. I also think a similar thing's happening with having babies where 35, 40 is the new 35, but, Mm -hmm. and I'm happy I'm, I'm living in that time. <laughs> I'm, I'm being, I'm able to take advantage of it. Right. It's like every, uh, I, I think that my whole life, whether I was aware of it or not, I was dating to marry, which is so weird. Uh-huh. Exactly. And yes, that's what I mean. And even in high school, you were like, I was always thinking about my husband. And I never knew if that was like a broader collective consciousness thing of how we were spoken to about relationships, or if that was like a purity culture thing. So it's interesting, you felt that too. And I also feel like in college, and even like post college, I I felt the level of shame about being single as if it were like a disorder, not like a tax filing status. Like I it's like something must be wrong with me because I haven't had a serious boyfriend yet because I didn't really have same. one until further in my 20s. Me too. And exact same. And I, you say, oh, maybe it was a purity culture thing. I actually don't think it was a purity culture thing. Not that I, you know, I, I, and here's why. Because Blair Waldorf and Chuck Bass and <laughs> Nate Archibald were getting married when they were juniors yeah. in high school. And that's why, you right. know, 
that that was the cultural orientation. Like it yeah. was, it was towards you date and get married ASAP. And it makes sense because the people who were indoctrinating that to us were people who are the generation older than us who did that. So, yeah. And our pop culture influences. Like when you think of the like wedding rom-com industrial complex, my best friend's wedding, they had a pact that if they were 28, they would just marry their best friend and settle because you obviously can't find love after 28. You're a spinster. Or like my big fat Greek wedding, the whole premise is she was about to turn 30 and like needed a husband. So there was, there were a lot of secular, just general messages. I think you'd pick up on being like, if I'm, in my mid to late 20s and not married like I think we all talked about with our guy friends and stuff like if I'm 25 and unmarried if I'm 25. 29 it's just so strange um, right because now that now it's like you kind of want to I feel that people are more apt to settle into more serious relationships around like 28 29 30 31 32 now yeah than they were when whereas that would be considered squarely marriage time and you better hurry the fuck up yeah. During the years we were graduating college. Right. I mean, yeah, and I have talked about this on the podcast a lot. The The amount of like social pressure and nagging I felt when I had been in a relationship for over five years and wasn't engaged, I to this day find shocking. People like were convinced there was something wrong, that he was stalling, that I must have been pining for him. But like he was in grad school. I had a doormat empire. We were busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's this very much like... You, you better hurry it's all just you better hurry up yeah hurry up and get it get to the next thing because otherwise you're not it's not real or it, whatever it's just but I'm grateful that now it's not you know of course people are going to perpetuate that the southern charm cast is heavily right they're never right. coming out but that's on that's on those people I, I think uh, we've evolved to a place where hopefully, at least on my, you know, more progressive side of the internet, I don't know what the rest of the world is like. It seems like we're encouraging independence to a degree where you're not just your relationship status. You're not who you are to somebody else. I would hope younger people wouldn't feel ashamed for being single because now we're so much more interested in who you are and what you're doing with your life. Whereas we kind of grew up in a time where it's like, who are you dating? Oh, don't worry. He's around the corner. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Oh, it'll happen when you least expect it. I I will tell you that. So Jessica Knoll, you know, the author, she wrote Mm -hmm. Luckiest Girl Alive. So she came out with a new book this week. Um, It's called, it's so I I really loved her book. And for Betches, we featured it in our like weekly newsletter. Um, Oh, nice. So because it's really good. So we put quite, we asked her Q&A, whatever. And she gave such a good answer that I think is relevant to this conversation. Because I don't know, in the context of the book, This makes sense, but this is her answer. In my late 30s, I started to pose a simple question to myself that I could not answer right away. Does that feel good to me? For the longest time, I had no idea what felt good to me. Almost everything I did, I did for other people and not for myself. I didn't know what I liked to eat, what time I liked to go to bed, how I wanted to spend my free time. It was upsetting and infuriating to realize how little I knew about myself. But once I started checking in with myself, I started to learn. I think self-knowledge and self-actualization is the enemy of the patriarchy. Being curious about who you are as a human being is a quietly revolutionary act. Ugh. Right? When yes. you were talking about this, I'm like, she just sent this to me last night. And yeah. Her book's so, called Bright Young Women, by the way. Yes. Bright Young yeah, bright young Women. And it's kind of uh, – it, it's based on like the Ted Bundy murders, but not, not in the way that you would think. 
Um, but it, it kind of like turns the lens on the people who he his victims. Right. And it's really it was a great book. So, yeah, I mean. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah. It's like a form of resistance. And it honestly is true because I I think once you start asking yourself the questions of why you're doing the things you're doing tracing back the things you're unhappy with to people pleasing behaviors or doing what you think is right in terms of some form of external validation like you start to kind of slowly get angrier and angrier about how conditioned we are to not follow our instincts our gut but to do like the thing that institutionally or societally will be validated as right or good and yeah once you get older and don't have space for the bullshit of that disconnect from what you want it's very liberating yeah, I do have a lot of, I think, pent up frustration in that direction. But mm-hmm. I also do feel grateful that like, we're moving forward. And moving forward. we can, Im- we can embrace these things. And like, we're in a position to say this and, pe- you know, make it real. So right. yeah, I also we're doing think, it I, right here. I love the quiet, what you say, a quiet revolution, because I, I feel like I kind of started doing that in my mid to late 20s in terms of like, I was just doing things people thought were weird, whether it was not I wasn't engaged yet, or I started a rug company, or talking to myself on social media, it was just like, things I wanted to do that I kind of had to put my head down and ignore that other people thought they were embarrassing. Right? Yeah, no, that's that's and that is how you it's uncomfortable, but you get to another you get to somewhere and you're like, quietly content. Yeah, it feels lovely. And you can't replace it and no one can see it. And yes, you can't, I it can't be taken from you. I, I think about is, this a lot with like when people ask you career questions, it's almost like, you know, how weird it is to ask women where they get their confidence or like how they combat imposter syndrome, assuming they have it. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes when people ask me questions like how, like almost seeming exasperated by these things that I would boil down to uh, s- some simple steps. I-, I think that like people want a strategic answer for like, why did you gauge that this would work or this would be viable or whatever? And it's kind of like, I didn't know any of that, but I think people are really turned off by trying things because they are objectively embarrassing or people will tell you not to and you kind of have to put your head down. Right. No, I get ask such offensive questions sometimes and it's and it's and it's hard to be because the premise that they're asking from is the problem not the question it's like right there's this it's invisible and they don't know that's that the even the fact of the question is reflective of something yes Oh, absolutely. Which brings me to kind of this is a random trend happening this week that I don't know the longevity of. But are are your for you page? Are people talking a lot about Tube Girl? What is that? No, it's this girl that uh, films herself in like point five dancing on the London tube, like the London subway, and. In the back part, I guess the windows are open of the tube that like blows your hair back Beyonce style. And she takes these videos of herself on the tube and all of the commentary is just about her confidence. And I think people are, and she just walked in a runway show and she has a Mac campaign with, and she has like 400,000 TikTok followers, which is a lot, but not like, you know, an Alex Earl skyrocket. But I just think it's interesting how she had this like really specific niche of dancing confidently on the subway. Part of that confidence being, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this in front of other people. And she's like just having this huge moment and people are just cannot believe she confidently films herself in public. And I just I think that's interesting. 
Well, there are a lot of influencers who are confidently filming themselves in public. Just walk downtown in New York City and you will see it. It's hard to miss it and not, you know, but... I, okay, I see I see exactly what you're saying. And I think what people are recognizing is not just like confidence because confidence is kind of a projection. I think what people are catching and connecting to is like somebody who is doing something that comes from within themselves and that is something that is hard to – it's perceptive, perceptible and hard to argue with. You know, I think that it just – gains more respect, attention, connection, interest than trying to project those things because you created a box in which that's acceptable and everyone will like it. And But I think when what really strikes people is when like someone is just so themselves mm-hmm. and you can't argue with it. And I mean, I even think, I hate to bring it up, this is even what people like about Donald Trump. Like that's an attraction. Oh, I know. I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, the confidence conversation can go one of two ways where it gives credibility to people that don't deserve it or it, it, it validates people who are really doing something noble and, and not caring what people think if, in a way that it doesn't hurt others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the line between like a leader and a scammer or a cult leader is yeah. is not that thick. It's so true. And and it comes down a lot to the person checking themselves and yeah. like not yeah. and surrounding themselves with like the right people. It's very so, true. How did we I, get here? Well, I, I Go think what what's, you were gonna say. what's interesting about Tube Girl is yeah. <laughs> uh, I think she represents an element of progress because there was a time when a uh, woman filming herself constantly dancing, like looking cute, fun, sexy would be like, oh my God, attention horror. Like, this is cringe. This is embarrassing. And I just kind of love the angle of like, oh my God, yeah, this would be so weird to watch in person. However, good for you. You're really confident. Yeah. I could never do that. Because I think it's coming from the same place of like, I could never. But we used to feel angry about that. Like, ew, so you you shouldn't. And now we're like, therefore, good for you. And I think that's like an interesting shift I've seen with Tube Girl. And I'm happy for her success. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The culture has changed from like, uh, ew, cringe. Don't, yeah. don't be weird. Stay in your lane. Stay, stay in the right lane. Yeah. And okay, do what do you do you go off and yeah go off and no, that is the best part of of where we are now. In it really in is the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Okay, the other th- adjacent thing to age gaps too. I just wanted to. I have like random questions I've been wanting to ask other adults because I've been hanging out with a baby. What do you think happened on um, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas's ring cam? <laughs> oh, I feel like she- I mean, it could literally be anything. It's so, such a funny yeah. anecdote that got leaked to the press, seemingly obviously by Joe's team. But like, why? Well, I thought, OK, my really suspicious feeling and maybe this was like sublimity, subliminally planted in my head somewhere is that he was trying to use, trying to push down the Google results of him wearing his ring. So there was something. (laughs) Am I crazy? Am I so crazy? That is so interesting. But here's the thing. It could have also easily happened or it happened and he's like, oh, this is a good opportunity or it just happened and he was like, oh, that worked. Um, (laughs) 
I think it could be anything from her straight up cheating on him to like her just talking shit. Yeah, thank God um, he's gone. Or she lied to him about yeah, or she yeah. lied to him about something really bad. But I'll say he she was just talking shit. Some yeah. Form of betrayal because they were done, clearly. Yeah. Right. What do you it's, think? I mean, uh, now I'm kind of spiraling. I think that's such an interesting theory. Um, with the ring camp, like it's like on the one hand, would he care that much to be seen with or without his ring on? But if you wanted to spin the narrative as like, I'm a leading down the pipeline of I'm a great father. I've had the kids, all the bullshit that he was trying to paint her in a bad light. Searching Joe Jonas ring would then bring up that, which would lead you down that path. So it's very interesting. And it, it, uh, to, okay per an announcement that just happened i'm like well now when you google taylor swift slut her bonus track's gonna be gonna bury any shitty yep. headlines about her which is kind of great too when you okay i have like almost a little like checklist in my head when i see celebrity stories i'm like okay photos are they backgrid where are right. they from is it plausible that this was just happened to be taken that this just happened to be taken or was this a celebrity arranged sighting why do they want this sighting? Who is it with? What do they have coming up? What are their projects? What's their what's their interest in this? Right. Then there's like, what is going to come up on Google when this happens? What narrative do they want to push to the top of people's search results on social media? And like, what is that going to, what is that pushing away? What, what are, what are people focusing on? What else could be going on that they're trying to not have you look at? So right. that's kind of my check. That's kind of my like celebrity. That's kind of my news story checklist. So what do you make of the two back-to-back pap walks? One night, Taylor Swift, Greta Gerwig. One night, Taylor Swift, Sophie Turner. Um. Well, with Sophie Turner, I'm like, wow, that looks way more fun than being married to Joe Jonas. So good choice. I mean, I mean it's such a move for them to be seen together. They must are perfectly fine of it all. And two people he like allegedly wronged. And uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't you know what I, it, it might not be deeper than just like like a fun side, like a fun pairing. Well, you know what it could. I don't think this is what it is. Like, I think they probably want to interact. I believe that it's the yeah. question of like, you could just do it privately and like no one could yeah, see. Go in the back or anywhere. Like, yeah. just go to your house. Have you thought right. of that? Like, right. you have a few rooms there. <laughs> yeah, someone right. will someone will bring you the food or the drinks. <laughs> Like I mean, the fact that she has out. a garage she can pull in, but she sometimes chooses to get out in front and walk to the front door. And right. So that in and of itself is like, okay, what's what what's going on that we can correlate with this unless her garage is being painted? Like there's a reason. <laughs> exactly. It, there's always a reason. It could always it could be something, it could be a million things. That's yeah. the thing. Um some with with other celebrities, it's like, what are they selling? Is a big question for me. Um Yeah, very true. But with, okay, the narrative of them, I almost, okay, I don't think this is, one reason is that I do think they actually just want to go out and hang out. For sure. In terms of the optics, you're almost creating like an up-leveled version of the 1989 girl, girl's girl image. Yeah. Yep. But you're doing it more how a 30-year-old would do it. Like go out with two friends one night, go out the different front and the other night. So you're doing things but it's not clicky and you're with people who are hot you know of yeah I, I don't mean attractive I mean of the moment yeah um and who are like generally considered real artists like she's not just with 
influencers or models, you know, it's right. very like the whole thing just feels up leveled. 1989 vibes. Leading up to 1989 TV, it only seems appropriate she would have New York pap walks. And the thing she admitted to feeling like she did wrong in that era was parading around her friend group in a way that people received as being exclusive. And that's where she talked about filling the empty lunch tables of her past. Like, I think now she's very mindful of how she goes about sharing her friendships. And obviously, she had photographers at Tay America, the whole thing, which I miss. RIP, that was the best era ever. But she did now like we get a mini version. She yeah. did a mini she did a 30-year-old version of Tay America. Yeah. We go out and get drinks and probably chat for three hours, have the best time. Probably won't see you again for months. Sit on the grass with a smaller <laughs> group than you had in you had in college. It's just, you know. And I that's think it. like I think Taylor will f- consume something she likes and reach out to the person and hang out with them. Like I guarantee you, Taylor Swift did not see Barbie in theaters. It came out last weekend, twenty four ninety nine to rent. She probably saw it called Greta Gerwig. And they like went to zero bond. You know what I mean? (laughs) Honestly, I bet you they had like friends in common already. Yeah. I'm sure they've, here's the thing. I'm sure they've spoken in their past. Like why wouldn't they? So I'm sure they've had some sort of like connection. Maybe Zoe Kravitz is is friendly with Greta Gerwig. And it was like, let's all get out. Get It's the same way like we would meet someone, you know. Oh, Oh, I know them. We should hang. I want to get drinks with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want people to photograph it too. <laughs> I feel like that's, I feel like there's a funny element there of like the handful of times I've hung out with people that are like a j- more public figure adjacent. I assume discretion is the goal. So I won't like post about it. Unless we like, wa- I mean, I agree. I'm honestly just so over sharing like where I am, what I'm doing, taking photos. I'm just so past. I'm so over it. Yeah. I just don't I always want forget. anyone to perceive me know where I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, um, you don't wait, want anyone to, to perceive you. <laughs> yeah, that is how I've been feeling lately. Um, I will say to your, okay, to your point, like, of, of if we were to make that type of thing public, how deep are you or just how aware are you of like the Reddit snark trend? Uh, aware and I I avoid it now I used to read it more when it was like general chatter but I I get a little spooked when I feel like it's cruel or overly speculative yeah no I think it's become very I ask because I think it's become very popular like I know there was blog snark for many years but now I feel like it's become every snark everything yeah right. and I feel that at this point the irony of all of this trend is that it completely backfired on the people who participate because in in its best form, it's about like accountability and, you know, genuine opinion sharing, not just like shade and bitchy comments. Most charitable, least charitable, totally. Most charitable, <laughs> least charitable in action all the time. Yeah. So, so that made sense when it was like used with that motive. But now it's, People use it as their like influencer us weekly. And what they've actually done is cemented like a D list for people who want desperately to be on a D list. Like mm-hmm. these, the people who you're talking about are making money off of this as their job in, in most cases. Yeah. Like, you're not talking about people who have other jobs and who are just right. kind of talking into their phone. 
I am now way more conscious of so many people because they're constantly talked about. When they don't come across their content, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Right. But I know their name. I know they're a thing. I know some people like them because of this and some people hate them because of that. So it's like you've literally created a tabloid to support this industry, quote unquote, that you claim to hate and you did it for free. And it's like, it's, it's so wild. And I just, it's a fast, it's been fascinating to watch. And I don't even have any like hate on the idea of snarking. I think it's kind of like, again, it's almost like a fourth estate for influencers, but you've now created legitimacy for people you don't think are legitimate. So I think think snark backfires on normal, like, okay, I shouldn't say normal people. I think public-facing people that are, I'll say it, kind of normal, seeing that kind of snark backfires in a sense that it makes them withdraw, and they'll share less. And like, you were interested in this person, all their details, you talking about them is probably going to make them hold back a lot of those details. I feel like I've seen that happen. And then I've seen the more, this is not the right term either, the slightly more shameless angle where it's like, all press is good press, baby. Like... Which is just not me, but people are totally fine being absolutely dragged if it kind of ups their capital. And I mean, I guess I admire the turning the bad thing into something that benefits you. I just can't relate to like people, the people that like go on their own snark threads. I'm like, what are you made of? I, I could never. I'm with you. Like, I'm definitely not the person who like sees criticism and is like, well, come at me, baby. I'll do it even more. Later's like, going to no, I'm like, must be jealous. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll like, right, right. Like, oh, you must be so of jealous of me. Right, that is it. the funniest. That is like the funniest thing to me. It's just so delusional to think like all criticism is comes from jealousy. And that's my yeah, favorite thing, thing about like, reality stars. You can't be on reality TV if you don't think that everyone that hates you is jealous of you. It's like a prerequisite. <laughs> Right. It's true. Right. And I can't think that I'm like, oh, my God, how do I correct this? How do I correct the record? How do I like let everyone know that I don't mean it that way? I mean it this way. Oh, did I not realize that I'm the total opposite of the haters must be jealous? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think when it came down to it, when I was thinking through the trend of what's the female Roman Empire, I was like, my (sighs) personal Roman Empire is just wondering if people are mad at me. Yes. In terms of the thing that takes up most of my headspace. I actually (laughs) think that might be the female Roman Empire. (laughs) And the ex-best friend one. Yes. And if not, then calories. I know. Unfortunately. It depends on how you look at it. So yeah, this a million people said we should talk about this. And Sammy and I were both like, we're on the we're on the tail end of this. And I feel like it might be tired by the time this episode comes out, which is funny because this will come out tomorrow. But that's yeah. how fast these trends rise yeah. and fall, just like the old empire. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the biggest we, the empire's been in years. Yeah. And we were t- texting about it, and both of our husbands said they never think about it. Yeah. I don't, I think, I'm curious what you think about that. Greg was like, I think it's unreliable because by the time the trend kind of took off, everybody asking their husband, partner, boyfriend about it had probably already kind of heard about it. And therefore was like inclined to say they think about it more often than they do or just the bias or like if somebody brings something up to you, you overstating how much you think about it, even though that's probably not true. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that I asked Avi pretty early in the trend. He hadn't heard about it. He was like, what are you asking me this for? Yeah, same, actually. I think that is a point. But I also do think that it is reflective of 
I wonder if there's something else that we could kind of compare it to. Yeah. Like if there's something else we could ask them about to see if this is just a weird thing. I know. I was thinking about that too because what it's turned – and listen, I love any and all um, ownership and reclaiming of hyper-feminine things. I think it's it's fun. And that's what this has turned into is just like a bevy of things women think about that are really fun to reference and relate to. What we haven't explored is like what's another example – because there has to be more than one of things that a lot of men seem to think about often that we find unusual because I think that's kind of the point is that it's this really specific thing. Yeah. Not that that it's everything ever. I can't find the right analogy for the Roman empire specifically. I have a few. I don't think, I don't know that any of them feel right to me though. And I'll tell you what some of my biggest ones are. Princess Diana. Yes. John Benet Ramsey. Okay. And American Girl Dolls before they were like re commercialized. I yes. think American Girl Doll trend happened because we thought about it like men think about the Roman Empire. Yes. And we've had spaces in recent years to bring these things up publicly that we think about often. And now they seem trite. But uh, several years ago, it wasn't. Right. I also have the Bermuda Triangle slash quicksand. <laughs> Whether a watermelon will grow in your stomach if you accidentally eat a seed. Fairy tale princesses if you're a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and quotes from the movie Clueless and Mean Girls. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when uh, men quoted the movie Old School a shocking amount, like constantly. Do you remember the You're My Boy Blue era of being friends yes. with boys? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my general, God. Quoting movies as a personality type is like my least favorite characteristic a male can have. Um, <laughs> but, okay, those are really interesting. And this is what I was trying to think through. Like, okay, why why specifically is the Roman Empire so interesting to people? And part of it, I think, is maybe, you know, a m- male-driven fascination with, like, domination and economic growth and innovation and just literally having an empire and then it being kind of pulled out from under you or like maybe the thought of like are we in the middle of an empire now that's about to fall or like I I don't know I was when you pair it with a conspiracy theory I think there's some parallels but the Roman Empire is not really that it's just like fascinating and layered how it rose and fell right I think probably most people who are participating in this trend don't know that much about the Roman Empire like, let's be real. But that's what I'm like, trying to like, figure out. They're what just they- thinking about the idea of the Roman Empire. I don't think they're like, oh, and then Nero was fiddling and Augustus. You know, I don't think they're thinking like that. But like, why that? I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, why oh, that why? and not the Byzantine? Okay. Why that and not oh. like... Oh, 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 okay. I, I think I have an answer to that. Because the Roman Empire is sort of like the... Are, it, it creates the schema of like hyper masculine Western civilization. Yeah. And I think that that makes it's like think about like Gladiator, the show Rome. Right. The it's it's so it's like why is Italy such a popular vacation spot? Like it's all very um you're taking like the most mass concept possible for something that I think you just said which is like the values of masculinity and conquering and financial just like dominance you're taking that and you're distilling it into like a concept that epitomizes. it's like if you say like what epitomizes femininity some people might say princess diana 
<laughs> that's why I think the Roman Empire. Yeah. Why okay. it's the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I've been trying to think about. Like, it, it represents something Greek, it, more so Greek than like Empire, what it is. Yeah, Greek Empire, Byzantine Empire. They just don't have the same ring. The Roman Empire was. It it just is more about the dominance, less about the democracy. Right. Um, it's just very like commercialized. I think. I also think that people probably are thinking about the Greek Empire when they think they're thinking about the Roman Empire. Kind of like mythology, easy to get them mixed up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. What's so funny that I was getting a kick out of, I love the confidence of people to be like, no, this is the female Roman Empire. And then it's a clip of Scott Disick prank calling Chris Jenner, Auntie Chris, it's me, Todd, Todd Cranes. And I'm like, I do think about that yeah. a lot. Um, that or, is uh, a good one. But like one I saw that made me laugh, that's just like, I think this is just you, girlfriend. Um <laughs> It was a scene from the breakup. Come, come on the kick drum, Gary. Gary on the kick drum. <laughs> never, never. That's just you. I was like, that's I, just you. I, I love this for people, and I love that they're getting the validation of like fifteen thousand likes on this because a lot of people think about come, come on the kick drum, Gary. <laughs> I don't, but that's kind of why the discourse is funny too, because people in the comments are like, I don't think about the Titanic that much, and I'm like, well, this is why. But other people, th- that's do. not the point. Other people do. <laughs> And like not everybody thinks about the Roman Empire. I think it's just trying to find these common threads. Um, and we're I actually, united by so little. We're and... united by so little. Um, <laughs> one one that I thought was pretty good was Helen Keller. I do think about Helen Keller a lot, but I, I never that... am really diving further into her life. I'm just thinking right. about the high high level understanding I have of her. That's what I mean when I say like they're not really thinking about the yeah. details of the Roman Empire. It's just the idea. Just yeah, the idea of Helen Keller. Yeah, it's just it's the kind idea of, of Cleopatra. Like you know, right. no one's actually reading about her, right? And I feel like um, I, I mean, there are just funny ones like getting bangs. Uh, I for me that would be more like face framing layers. I feel like my entire like preteen era, I just thought about getting layers as if that was going to change my look and persona in a big way, and it never was going to. <laughs> No haircut I've ever gotten has actually changed my hair. Maybe no. now as an adult it will, but like it doesn't. Nothing changes. Wow. I just had like I it just gave me a feeling of like a revelation. I, I really do you. think the new me is all, always around the corner with a haircut and I always look the exact same. It, never. <laughs> never ever. Never. I don't understand. Like some people, I also feel the same way about makeup. Like some people have faces mm-hmm. that I'm not saying they can transform, but like there's no makeup style that, yeah. you know, how some people can like make their face into a palette, like yeah. to a, a canvas. No, like I'm doing makeup. It's always going to look kind of the same. Maybe it'll be a little more intense for the night and a little lighter for the day, but it's right. never going to be, I'm never, a look would just make me look crazy. Like nuts. Right. <laughs> no you're so I know and it but it's funny how I always believe like I buy so many products you know how many contouring tutorials I've watched yes. thinking that I will show up somewhere and people will be like Tim Burton is that you like holy skeletal <laughs> like look at those cheekbones no I look the exact same right in like, photos never, and in person <laughs> it never changes that much for some reason like is it just that I'm yes I'll obviously I mean you see me now I look way worse than when I do myself up but it's never that much better than the done. No, same. I, like, every time I go to better? a wedding or a formal function, I think, 
I'm always really in my head. I'm picturing like my make movie makeover montage moment, my Princess Diaries, my like time when I'm I will Same. look so disproportionately beautiful. I never Same. do. <laughs> never. It won't happen for me. And it's not that I think I look bad in those moments. I think I look, I'm happy with how I look enough, you know, but it's just never, you know, I think that if I went to the Oscars, I think I'd look the same as if I went to my friend's wedding. Like, how are we upgrading? What is there to do? Yes. And when you get your, okay, when I get my makeup professionally done, this is a problem I have when I went on tour. I was like, I can't discern the makeup artist skill from just my general disappointment that I'm not gorgeous. Right. It's like, okay, they, they did their best. Like, yes. what are, what are, what are they do? where's the miracle worker here? You know, where are they? Speaking of Helen Keller. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the book about Helen Keller is the miracle worker. I think that was her like teacher, Annie, I want to say. See, you know more about, this I, is I'm all a great vague, example of a very high knows. level knowledge. <laughs> Let's see. Helen Whereas Keller. Whereas Princess Diana, I feel like I know the ins and outs of the timing, the tunnel, the guy she was dating, the driver. You know, like I'm pretty up to date on the time stamps and the details. Oh, yeah. There's like not a lot you could reveal to me that hasn't that has been reported about Princess Diana right. that I don't that I haven't already read. Um, her name is Annie Sullivan was the miracle worker. Oh, shout out to Annie Sullivan. Um, yeah, I feel the. I also, when I was thinking about the Roman Empire, well, now this has been memefied to like the only one I care about is like one in Rome, Mary Kate Nashley. Yeah. I also love the Kristen Bell one in Rome, but I was thinking about in the context of something you bring up a lot is like, like traveling to Italy. Like you, you, one time you think you proposed for an episode, you're like, can we just talk about how white women just like love Italy? <laughs> yeah, I think there's so much to unpack there. What what is it? And and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Listeners, <laughs> do you think that there is a special uh, upset? It's not an obsession. It's like a pull to Italy of all the like 300, something, 200, whatever, how many countries there are. Italy is the one that gets romanticized. I mean, I yeah, I could do actually probably a whole episode about this as a person that got married there. Um, <laughs> thank you. you are, <laughs> thank you. Right. Like, why did you pick Italy over Spain or France or England or Portugal or it or Colombia, you know, or Mexico, Canada. It's just or somewhere else in the United States. It's just very like there's something about it that draws that draws us. And I don't I can't like get to the bottom of it. I think it's maybe we can get there one together. easy correlation is volume of uh, play like study abroad just by numbers. I think that Florence is a huge, huge hub and a lot of people study abroad there more so than other European cities. Uh, Rome? I, and Rome, maybe Rome too. Um, isn't that like, yeah, John Cabot or whatever. I don't know. I think a lot of people study abroad there and that's probably the start. But I did an episode called Study Abroadcast where I was talking about how- I listened to it. Yeah, I was talking about it how was like so good. as a generic, I don't know, like my cultures was this growing up was the suburbs. Like I think I- I've always felt kind of basic and common, and I wanted to be a little bit more sophisticated or refined. And uh, you know, the nicest meals I was going to in high school was like a Benihana before a, a homecoming dance with like a group of thirty-two. And then <laughs> you kind of when I studied abroad and. I was exposed to something that felt more cultural and refined and I loved it. I loved the food and the wine, and the cobblestones and the twinkle lights and the history and everything. I felt like 
I didn't even realize how basic those things still were, but they kind of made me feel like the more sophisticated version of myself I was always convinced I was that I didn't have access to in the States. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I come 100%, 100% agree with everything you just said. My question is, why do we all feel that way? Why do we all feel that why and about Italy why not about Barcelona and I know Barcelona is not a country I'm aware of that I'm just saying like (laughs) a lot of people went to Barcelona or London or you know why is it Italy because France there's Paris people are obsessed with Paris but like there's something about it that it was like this access to something that like felt more pure and it does feel that way to this day I still think about that that's my Roman Empire. Italy is my fucking Roman Empire. Still, it's like <laughs> I think well, frequently about the cobblestones and the color of the water and the food and the vi- the smell and the sound and like why am I so obsessed with it? But it's not just me. It's all of us. I know. <laughs> well, it it cuz yeah, my argument could be made for really any other country where you're exposed to a type of culture that why feels different and more yeah. I mean, it feels pedantic to even talk about like my travels in Western Europe, but like, uh, the you do, I do feel um, slightly more welcomed and comfortable in Italy um, as a tourist, and I think that it's very easy to get around by train from multiple cities. <laughs> and I romanticize gen- in general a lot of places, but something about Italy, I think, with like. I do think some in some places the food is too much of a stretch for your average person. And Italy has very accessible, delicious food that like Pizza. isn't too adventurous. <laughs> yeah, I complete look, I agree. All the technical reasons why Italy is the best all stand. We I completely agree with you. But my point is not about why like we specifically like Italy the most. It's that's not yeah, like I get why we do, but why is it why is there the this draw? Because Spain also is just is very similar. I would I always say Spain is Spanish Italy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I, it, like it, yeah, it's got the cliffs, the coastline, the Mediterranean vibe, the great wine, the great food, of right. romance language that are right. Italian and Spanish have a lot of similarities. It's also a little bit more affordable. So why? There's more partying to do also. So Hmm. I don't know. I think there's something just in our epigenetics, maybe. Yeah. That that draws us. I don't know what it is, but it's it's just the best. Hmm. I know. I'm glad I I found someone who loves a cobblestone like I love a cobblestone. I don't know what it is about it. I find them deeply calming. I mean, I had to fill out I, I there's some like professional thing I had to do filling out information about myself. And I got to the box that said hobbies and interests. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> I, I'm not, re- not today to the introspection, because when you when you talk about your hobbies and interests, you're portraying a certain like a, pack, a starter kit for who you are. And if I'm yeah. honest with myself, my hobbies and interests are like going out to dinner on patios with twinkle lights and having nice conversations with people and like pop culture. Like those are two things I like and traveling, but not the adventurous kind, the nice hotel kind. (laughs) Right. So, so, so we like hotels. We like talking and we like, we like eating in nice places. Yes. But can I, can I ask what's so wrong with that? What you're basically saying is I like the most important things in life. Mm -hmm. I like something that keeps me alive 
and I like human connection. Right. And okay, so like, what do you? What do I need to do? Do I need to get on a fucking uh, kite surf? Surf? surf what is it called? Whatever. Do I need to go? Sounds, do I need to like go you're a big scuba diving? <laughs> do I need to go like scuba diving? Like, do I need to? Do I need to say that I hike in right. order for myself to sound applicable, right. like acceptable on this um thing? Chapter twelve of my book is all about this dilemma of like, I can't. Even though I've 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 intellectually evolved past this point, when push comes to shove, and I'm in a position where somebody's asking me about my taste in something, I get a little anxious about what it says about me. And I think this is a uniquely female experience, uh, where we're often surrounded by people who pose their taste as author as authoritative over ours, and then we're having to justify why we like what we do. Um, but sometimes when I think about what I like, it is so not basic in a basic bitch sense, but basic in a physiological Maslow's hierarchy of needs sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I like to laugh. I like to eat. Right. I like to look at nice things. Like, okay, I like things that keep my blood pressure down. I'm not trying to like, sorry, I don't want to rock climb and um, do crazy physical feats that make me feel uncomfortable. My favorite part of this is you trying to come up with examples of things. <laughs> what I don't want to do. <laughs> like kite, flying, surfing, yeah, and yeah. rocks and heights. <laughs> Just like nothing too dangerous, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, no. What's the opposite of an adrenaline junkie? Like <laughs> a calm seeker. Yeah. Right, like just I, a peace seeker. Right, a peace seeker. I think I've decided that I, for one, identify as what I like to call a cozy chaser. Anyway, a brief message from our sponsors. Something I learned about hydration, you know, per Sammy and I talking about how we're not like the most adventurous gals, not into like kite surfing or hiking. Hydration's not just for people like hiking or, or training for championships or marathons. It's about daily maintenance. It's it's about a long plane ride. You could be on the sideline of a kid's soccer game. You could just be on back-to-back conference calls or like me, yammering into a mic. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America for a reason. Their hydration multiplier, you know, whether you use it first thing in the morning before a workout, you feel run down in the afternoon, they're brilliant for hangovers. With just one stick, you can hydrate two times faster than with water alone, plus get essential vitamins and three times the electrolytes as leading sports drinks. This is huge for me because sometimes I just don't want to drink a ton of water in quantity, but getting kind of a two-for-one makes all the difference to me. And Liquid IV comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting, like pina colada, for example. I find that exciting. I also don't know what a sea berry is, but they have that flavor, and it is outstanding. And the five essential vitamins are B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it's made with quality ingredients, non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And best of all, Liquid IV partners with leading organizations to fund and foster innovative solutions that help communities protect both their water and their futures. Liquid IV is donated to date over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world, so we love to support their brand. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code BETHEREIN5 at checkout. That's 20% off anything when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code BETHEREIN5 at liquidiv.com. Similarly to something having two uses, whether you're like rehabbing your skin from a sun-soaked day at the beach or pool, or just you literally sit in air conditioning all day, Osea's products are multifunctional for the adventurous and outdoorsy and indoorsy alike. Because I use their Andaria Exfoliate and Glow Duo constantly to make my skin feel refreshed and clean 
and moisturized and most importantly, exfoliated because it's, I don't know, in the 80s in Chicago this week, I'm still wearing shorts. I'm still doing a lot with self-tanners. Andaria Cleansing Body Polish that's part of this duo pr- provides an easy one-step exfoliating, cleansing, and moisturizing shower essential. It has this like very unique gel to milk texture. I am obsessed with it. I replace this immediately when I'm even close to finishing it. It's kind of like a tank of gas. Like I don't want it to get below half. That's how dependent I am on it. And same with the Andaria Algae Body Oil that I've told you guys about. It's like viral on TikTok. It's viral in my home too because I talk about it all the time. And it seals in hydration after the shower, moisturizes and makes you glow all day. It's incredibly rich, but it's not greasy. It doesn't get on my clothes or my sheets. And I just have the driest skin year round. And this just seals in moisture better than any product I've ever tried. And obviously the best feeling ever is to get that like dolphin skin exfoliated vibe before putting on something with moisture. And you can save and glow with the Andaria Exfoliate and Glow Duo. It's the perfect way to try two of their best-selling products. Osea has been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. So everything they make is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Prep your skin for fall with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. And right now, we have a special discount for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code BTIF at oseamalibu.com. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code BTIF for 10% off. But it's back to that Jessica Knoll quote, being curious about who you are is as a human being is a quietly revolutionary act. And I think even admitting to who you are, because right. I mean, the whole conversation this summer, both economically and culturally was about how female entertainment, entertainment by women for women was sparking the economy with, you know, Barbie, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift. Right. That is, it's a real thing. And the problem, and I've said this from working in media for years now, a women's media company is hindered by scale. Scale of what there is, any women's property, any women creator who's creating for women is hindered by the potential, not size of the market, but size of the scale. And a lot of that is thanks to sports because men have year round sports where they can create content around. That's like if we had the Oscars every night. So there is, it's not that women, there isn't as much potential for making money off of women and for, you know, for women to create amazing things. It's that it's underserviced because the people who are making decisions are not women primarily. Right. The people who are devoting the, where the money goes, determining who gets paid, who gets entertained, who gets to even get a chance at creating something that's going to go public and going to be distributed. And it is – those decisions are not made by people who are going to to service the demand. Right. And hopefully that will change, but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, and historically, the women-led viewership was kicked to daytime, kicked to cable and not network broadcast, exactly. labeled as a guilty pleasure. It's like, it's it's never comfortably like the focal point. And I think what's so confusing about the criticism of guilty pleasures or female-coded interests is that they often represent like mass culture. But in that context, the bigger it is, Despite its economic viability in size, that's almost a reason it's taken less seriously. So the more people are into it, the less seriously it's taken, even though it's funding all of these other efforts on these networks. It's interesting. Right, right. But then why is sports? Well, here's the thing. Sports, sports is the dumbest shit in the world. Let's think about this. Where does a ball go at a particular time? 
what what is the what is the brave intellectual claim being made by that? Why is that more legitimate than the human interactions that are created on Bravo, which is like a long running social experiment? Why yeah. is why is why is like where you hit a ball more important or more respectable? Than a women's talk show where you t- – or even what we're doing right now, analyzing right. trends, analyzing what the way people think, the way our generation thinks, hopefully providing some sort of validation or comfort for them. And I think that – I mean, you this is something that goes on my For You page a lot is how women's – how gossip yeah. was um, weaponized, like was demonized as um, – a bad thing, un- unwomanly, unlikable, just wrong, morally mm-hmm. wrong. Because gossip is what enables us to be savvy, be safe, be yep. – that's how we protect ourselves amongst the stronger uh, – against the stronger gender. Right. Is we're able to provide protection through our interrelations. And like I don't think it's a coincidence that men cannot fucking hold a conversation with each other. It's because they don't need to. Because they can just mm. brute force it through life. So mm. I don't know. I don't get – yeah. I think that, that it has to be demonized so that you can't claim that you like it, who you are, because you have – it keeps you quiet, basically. Yes, exactly. I feel like uh, not talking is how any powerful structure maintains its position. Any – religious institution, any cult, any terrible leader, like the thing they don't want you to do is exchange information because then you'll realize how shitty the circumstances are. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole thing with the push towards like salary transparency. Right. Is that it used to be like, do you want to talk about your salary? So if things can't be enforced by law, then they'll enforce them by norms. And if they can't enforce them by norms, they'll enforce them by like, we just don't like you. And it's, and that is basically how you're right, like how power structures do get maintained. And it's, it's fucked up. I think the thing with sports, too, is where what I'm always angling for is like, yeah, I have my personal opinions about sports, but it's not even that one set of interests is better or worse than the other is that they're like, if you're going to argue that elements of pop culture, reality TV, whatever are ridiculous, you also have to acknowledge that sports is ridiculous, too. Oh, that's all of our interests are mutually ridiculous. And I... I think like that's what I'm always after. It's just like them being equally validated because yeah, when I watch football, all I see are capris. And I'm like, these pants are ridiculous. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, when I say I hate sports and they're so stupid, I don't like really, but I am my point is what you're saying. It's like it's no dumber. It's no more or yes. it's no more noble than than anything we're doing or we yes. like to watch. It's no more noble than like celebrity got. It's just not. So the idea that it is is harmful and minimizing and here's the other thing it's like why do our interests have to be so important isn't that the point of play yes exactly humans do get to just not be productive i think yes like we invented this need for things to be productive yes i think that's an interesting part of the convo you can just like stuff I mean, I think it's an interesting parallel pointed out how, that like stadiums where Taylor Swift is playing is the same where like the football games are. And yeah, people just don't talk about these things in the same way. Do you hate sports or do you hate the way that sports get this like special status when it's nothing that special? Because that's how I kind of feel about it. Like it's not the sports that I hate. It's the way that it is pedestaled as yeah. like super important. And it is super important, but also it's not more important 
than anything else. And so I feel a need to like bring it all down a peg. This is what I always <laughs> like to say. I'm like, you're not on the fucking team. They don't know who you are. Oh, yeah. It's don't get upset fold. about it. And, and, and yes. here's the thing. you can enjoy it. You can like it. But when it affects you negatively because your team lost, like that's weird. And you should think about it more. I don't personally react to most things that happen online. Like even if a couple I love breaks up, I'm not actually devastated. Same. But I was well, wondering. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all hyperbolic. But like when then I when I was you know when I find myself genuinely devastated, it's usually by something like in the real world. Uh, in the real world, I just always wonder how real the feeling is when people are in such a fucking bad mood when they lose a sports game because I just don't relate to it. It depends who you know. But yeah. For some people, it's really real. For some people, yeah. it's not. But for some people, it's like genuinely, really real. I've seen think, some things. I think my disdain is twofold. It's one, what you said. Um, it's kind of the culture of like, don't bother me. The game's on. Like, Oh, you get to just ignore your family because it's it's Sunday. Right. Or like the the, the terrible burden put on non-sports fans on Thanksgiving just because yeah. you're not watching the game. What about, and Avi does not like gambling at all, but. So he doesn't do this, but people who's put put money, oh, actual that would be furious. household funds into this. Oh, my God. Imagine. The rift that would cause, I would feel so angry and betrayed on like levels that I wouldn't, even if you made like a dumb purchase. Consistently sports gambling away your joint income is like... I mean, it's if, I don't know how you do your do your income. We each have our discretionary income. So like if he did it with his discretionary income, like, okay, whatever. You know, right. that's not my problem. But if we're talking like a combined situation, yeah. and any one dollar, one dollar, what do it? Right. Oh. win money. Yeah, but you that's probably, what they want you to think. That is the point. <laughs> right. I just yeah. Okay. Right. That that's actually something I was thinking about recently that I wanted to ask another person who. I, I'm semi-independent financially in my marriage. Like I have my own stuff. We have our joint stuff. Um, yeah, we're this. We're like that too. I oh, I was watching uh, Roni and um, Aaron's husband gave her like a nice ring for their anniversary or whatever. Anytime I see in pop culture an example of a husband buying a wife a gift and it's like nicer and far more expensive than anything she expected and she's excited about it, I'm always like, I would be a little bit pissed if you spent this much of our money on this one thing. Like I. Yes, a gift is nice and at a level of income, that's cool. But for most people, splurging, you know, let's say Lisa Barlow's $60,000 ring she lost in Salt Lake. Um, yeah. If my husband gave me that, I'd be like, thank you. But also, I'd like to use our joint $60,000 for something else. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that depends on what it is. Like, is there something that would not be a huge ring that would you would really want that, like, that yeah. is a reasonable price and you wouldn't be mad about like maybe that's their equivalent like a refurbished I, geo tracker a really th a yeah. gift that's like very thoughtful but like yeah jewelry i guess isn't my love yeah language. if you don't care yeah i i agree like if yes because if it i'm thinking i'm like if it were something i wanted i wouldn't care but if it were something i didn't want that badly good i'd be point. like I'd be like, take it back. <laughs> yeah, good point. Okay. Even if it was like his own money and I didn't want it that badly and it was really expensive, I would probably – I here's the thing. He knows better than to just just wing it. We, right. He, he gets clues. I drop hints. <laughs> I send links. I provide <laughs> – I provide you, options. I, I I love the idea that dropping hints and sending links are in the same 
field. It's yeah, I'll just be like, I'll just, it's, it's, you know, it's one of many links I'll send throughout the day, an article, here's a TikTok, here's a reel, oh, here's a nice bag that I love. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, I know, that I that's the level of coy I am too. That's how I was with my engagement ring. Like, I'll never outright ask or demand anything, but I will dance around it that you can't miss it. Oh, well, with the engagement ring, I was pretty, I was like, this is the picture. This is exactly oh, really? what I want. No, with the engagement. Okay, with the engagement ring, I'm talking about things that like. Okay, I'm talking more about things that like. There's no, like, there's no promise. I'm getting. This. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. reason for me to get it with the engagement ring. I think because we were like, this is the ring. Like, yes. Get it. You know, we actually he proposed with just the stone, and then we set it together. That's actually what, what? happened. I think he, that's nice. Well, he he proposed with like the on a plain band. It was still. In a ring. <laughs> oh, I, th- I yeah. literally just thought you were telling me he proposed on an airplane. Okay, he proposed oh, no. with a plane, pause, band. Oh, yeah, you- <laughs> a plane band, yeah. <laughs> and then you set it together. That is cute, and I, I appreciate that. Because um, that's like the biggest, pur- that's the biggest purchase either of us had ever partaken in. Did you post um, a photo of your hand with the ring close up with like a tilt shift outside blur? Um, no, 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 no. I did just, I think it was, I did like, there was one where I'm holding my hand up. Yeah. But from far Classic. away. There was Classic, no. tasteful. There was no <laughs> ring pick because it wasn't, it wasn't done. Oh God. But Avi like lost his phone when he proposed you're on a ski slope. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's a little adventure, Sammy. But the, for someone I that like doesn't... to ski. I will tell you, skiing, skiing is lovely, but I'm not. I didn't start early enough in childhood where like I can comfortably go fast. Like I don't have the muscle memory. Yeah. Speaking of sports, I started playing tennis this summer, which Love I tennis. did a lot when I was younger. Right. Lovely, fun. I low like country stakes. club sports. <laughs> same. Same. Oh God. So I started playing tennis and I'm like, I realized like I have the muscle memory from when I'm young. I can like really I can do it. With skiing, I'm like terrified of going too fast. So I like a nice little green, blue, easy. Yeah. Get to the lodge, have a hot chocolate. Yeah. I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to challenge myself on the slopes. Yeah. I want to just have a good time. It's not a no get guts, no glory situation. Get to the yeah. champagne lunch. Yes. That's agree the with that. Yeah. Agree with that. I can get into that. I, I'm a person that you definitely wants that. I want to be able to ski, but it just I I feel like now I'm too I'm the age where an injury profoundly affects my life in a way that I can't justify it. So I just go on ski trips with people and I I do a lodge hang and I'm comfortable with that. If you'd want to maybe ever go to, I don't know what the dates of this are, but like the Eras Tour in Stockholm and like do a little ski minute, bunny slope style, and then go to the Eras Tour. Sorry, I only Something travel I'm to thinking. Italy. I'm so, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, there's a Milan date. I'm just kidding. I think I went through most of the Roman Fempire. I'm trying to think of anything else people brought up Roni, that was funny. More Roni since we were. Oh, yeah. Oh. I just wanted to know what you think of this early season. Um, I like it. I think it has potential. I think that um, that it was it, – it has exceeded my expectations. I'll start there. Yeah, yeah. I also think that like we're used to really seeing a lot of really serious stuff on Bravo lately. Really just kind of dark things between legal stuff, real, really scary scary things, and diabolical behavior. And I am finally relieved to just see them fighting over stupid shit that is so petty and pointless and not significant and not really important. And I am 
I feel comforted by that. I feel comfortable. I agree with the exception of the like privilege off. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, their trauma, so their trauma grating. Olympics. Yes, it's just like it's it's a maddening conversation to be in or to watch. That like I'm surprised Bravo is even giving it this airtime. It's funny how, especially after this week's episode, I really changed my tune about Jessel. When I started putting these together, I was like, okay, they're they from the get go they were like bullying her about her sex life and her complicated feelings about her body and sex after going through like a traumatic IVF experience. Like, give this woman a break. I don't know. There just wasn't much empathy given to her in that front. And now they're really going so hard to prove that she was lying about her upbringing. And I'm like, why is she being targeted so aggressively? There must be something going on we don't get to see. I think there are, I think there are like a few things with this. And I think number one is that they want, I think they're trying Okay, with the with the upbringing stuff, I think that they're trying to get her to admit that she had more money than she wants to portray. I think yeah. that's really their main gripe. Is that's my my sense? Okay, not that they want to like belittle her actual story. It's that they want her to like admit that she went to private school and like admit that she had money. That and yeah. they're trying to say that's why they're saying I had no money. Um, that's. Yeah my sense of what their like gripe with her is but to your point about the bullying which is why i something i i think that has been i don't want to use the word bullying but i do kind of think maybe not bullying they gang they continued up ganged on, up on her yeah yeah it's her but it's not just her it's on jenna for her plane and True. it's on it's on erin because she had caviar it's like they like to gang up on each other yeah and that is like a dynamic that has been going in circles that I think is very is like kind of what they do. I just don't know people like that that gang up on you and get on you for things like the smallest of things and the fact that they all do it all the time with the exception of Jenna and Uba it seems like it's just I'm like I guess that's why it's good casting because they're these type of people but I'm also like do you not hear how annoying and grating and unproductive this is like just be a kind well I think fun person I, I think it's because they okay i think there's a few reasons for it one we're only seeing like a little bit of what actually yeah. happens so they're all they're all new they're all new to this and i think that they all sort of are like feel like we i need to create drama i need to do something so when there's a when there's a moment that could be turned into a conflict they all jump at the chance and it seems irrational i don't know i hate to say like that she's bringing nothing to the table. But so far, I just feel like Sai is draining more than she's adding. <laughs> I think that's the general consensus, to be honest. Yeah. And I don't necessarily feel that that means she can't have another season. Yeah. But maybe she, depends how next season goes. That conversation done more more than one time and drawn out the way it has, it just doesn't seem like, yeah, it seems like they're just kind of, I don't know, again, not bullying. I think bullying, that's going to but- be... I think that's going to be worked out at the reunion and it's going to be clear what they really meant because it seems ridiculous if that's if they're just Yes, anytime I am frustrated with a housewife storyline that seems redundant overdone what usually happens is there's something that's not being said that happened off camera <laughs> that they're yes. dancing around and that's why it's frustrating to watch. <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking of that type of situation, you have the uh Danielle Oliveira vindication which I, know. I think was such a such an example of 
things not being said or things that happened off camera informing things that happened on camera, which made it look, which made everything look like an extreme overreaction. Yes. When she yes. turned out to be 100% correct. No, last season I was like, Danielle, like, this isn't your life. Back off. Who cares? I, even I was kind of like, this is not normal behavior. But it yeah, now I'm character. like, oh, everybody knew something that we at the audience weren't privy to. Well, all the girls who backed her up, everyone was like, well, they're just bitchy. They hate Lindsay. Yeah. And like, I really felt that it was so out of character for Danielle. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, I get it when people's things happen in their dynamics, like things change. She was going through a hard time too. She could have gone a little, you know, wacky, but it was so unlike her to not back Lindsay after she took a fucking wine glass to the chest for her. Yeah, right. And it just didn't make any sense. And knowing that Carl once took a $400 Uber to get away from Lindsay (laughs) and that what he did, what he ultimately did, it's like, yeah, maybe everyone was quick to judge her. Yeah. Well, okay, Summerhouse, somebody said this on Instagram. I thought this was a good question. Do you think that it needs to be rebooted and recast and reset like Roni? No, we are in the prime. We are about to see the conclusion of what of all everything we just watched well i think once this drama resolves like i actually maybe uh, after that outside of this new development i would have said unequivocally like people are older in stable relationships and watching them rage is getting a little sad and like i'm just not as entertained by crazy partying anymore but maybe that's my age but yeah i i want to see this play out for sure I think it's going to be this, and then there's going to be the Craig Conover Page inevitable fallout of whatever. Yeah, happens I don't see there. them. I, she I really see like Page. I don't see them. I, I don't do know. Too. I think she's great for TV. I don't know if I see them getting to the finish line. I don't think she wants to. It doesn't. It has not looked like she wanted. She wants to. I, Does I'm this seem like a woman who wants read. to marry him? I'm having trouble getting a read because I do feel like the way she talked about Perry was so much more favorable. And I don't know if her and Craig have a dynamic where she kind of pokes fun at him and like she's a little more sarcastic toward it or if she's like not into him. I think it's a little hard to tell. But people that listen to Giggly Squad, their podcast, say that she speaks super highly of him and it's a little bit different than how it appears on TV. I've heard that too. And maybe that's true, but I don't think it's only about him. I think it's also about like she wants a different life. That he yeah, wants. I, yeah. I think location-based differences, people you have they are deal breakers in a big way that people don't want them to be. But yeah, when you move just, somewhere you don't want to away from your family and everything you know for a person, once the novelty wears off, what you have is resentment. Yes. But I mean the two of them have a unique situation where they could kind of do a bicoastal thing. Yeah. But I don't even think she wants to do that. But what is bicoastal when you're on the same coast? Oh my god! I've, Intercoastal. Yeah. It's just 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 subcoastal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Paige is one of the best people for reality TV on Bravo, and I think she's great to watch. I think she's she has a bright future ahead of her, and I just feel like every time I see something with them, I'm like, this doesn't look happy. He yeah. wa- he keeps wanting to marry her, and she's like. Uh. I know. I know. It's so hard to I mean, and you're also rewatching Southern Charm, which I think does not paint Craig in the best light most of the time. I'm actually at the part that Craig is probably in the best light 
because oh, of he how, defended Catherine. Because he's the only one who will defend Catherine. And I imagine at the time that would have made – I don't – I guess at the time that made him look worse to everybody. But now I'm like, he's the only one who has any fucking balls who will stand up for this poor woman who is like emotionally abused by this group. Right, right. That's so interesting. Craig I'll have to think back on that time. his way into my heart, to be honest. He, get, he got annoying the in the page. Naomi seasons. Are you Is Naomi in the picture yet? She's now in the picture. She's been in the picture for a season. But he's still defending her. And Naomi's even saying, don't defend her. Like, why are you making everyone mad? It's like, okay, so make everyone mad or, like, abuse this poor mother of two. I mean, you're so right. At the hands of this felon who cheats on people and has assault allegations against him. Totally. She's just – she just likes him. And that's what's, yeah. Unless she was like hamming that up for the cameras, I really feel like she is wants to be with him. This reminds me of you know. I've always thought there should be like an app or a user experience in some way where you are binging a show that aired a long time ago, and you are funneled cultural conversation, tweets, memes, etc. In real time for that episode and season, so you can experience it like it's current without getting spoilers. Oh, that's so interesting! Like a, a pop up video, but on the kind side. of like because I love <laughs> part of what I love about getting really into a show per me watching Succession a little later than everybody is like what were people saying about this when it was happening and not in with with Rosie retrospect and but when you're in the middle of a series that already ended. You can't look up anything because you'll the the highest SEO is going to be the biggest plot line, the biggest spoiler, whatever. So when I was watching Succession, I was like, I'm dying to know what people were saying about this episode, and I would love to participate in that chatter, but I couldn't research it till I finished. And then I had to watch, I had to race through all four seasons more than I wanted to, simply so I could engage in my favorite hobby of watching every YouTube Googling. video about it ever. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, you know what I, you know what I'll do. If I want to create that environment, I read the vulture recaps. I do That's love a vulture recap. That's kind of the only recap, yeah. place that I feel you can go episode by episode. Yeah, but True. yeah. So you love you like Succession. It took me a while to get into it, um, and okay. I feel like I've heard this from a lot of people. Where the first season, the first season, everyone's so unlikable, but then you have to develop an attachment and a weird, confusing empathy toward the characters. Yeah. That makes you question yourself. And then I think once I got to the episode, okay, spoilers, I'll, I'll like insert myself from the beyond and tell you when to skip ahead when we talk, stop talking about succession if you haven't seen it yet. I think the, the episode I think I really got in was when obviously Kendall drives the waiter into the lake, the yeah. wedding. And then I was like, yeah. whoa. And then like that cover up and the way it was presented and so swift, I was just like, oh God, yeah. Like this is just such a different You're world and that kind of fast. Boy. Oh my God, yeah. And then I was hooked. But I will say a lot of it, it was super corporate and a lot of the stuff about the deals didn't interest me that much but then in hindsight i'm kind of understanding the whole point was like they everything's, couldn't do it yes they couldn't do it everything's always like nine one one firefighting this is going to change everything but the goal of people like this is the status quo the goal is keeping themselves exactly where they are like nothing ever really changes but they get themselves all stirred up and and I think that's frustrating as a viewer to watch when I wanted the like actual company stuff to move a little faster but it never was yeah I think that's reflective of life to be honest with you I I was it's so okay so it's so interesting that you said that because there was a difference between like the first season and the second season and then three and four because the first season I think 
Like when I watched the first season, I was also not atta- attached to the characters in any way. It's more like I'm watching a satire of a business show yeah, right. and a family business. Like that's why it was funny in the first. Like I thought it was funny. Um, yes. A lot of it. And I'm like, these people are ridiculous. Then you kind of get more – it gets – you because the whole thing – and you, we didn't realize this while we were watching it. The whole thing takes place over one year. Right. And I think that like that wasn't it, – it took until maybe like season three-ish to follow that and to realize mm-hmm. like you're watching these people's lives evolve over a rather short period of time and – the idea that they would change or develop is kind of the point that they can't. Yes, totally. And I think I, what, something I was curious, I know you actually did a podcast about this that I should go back and listen to now, but like at the time, who did you think was going to be the successor? At the end of the fourth season, at like towards the middle of the fourth season, I thought it was going to be Tom. Yeah. Or like Tom and Shiv. Um. But Aileen thought it was going to be Tom at the end of the third season. Like, she called that, like, immediately at the end of the third season. Well, that season ends with him, like, in the room with he Logan. Betrayed. And Logan, like, holds his shoulder and Shiv's, like, staring daggers at him. Yeah. But, like, the subtlety of that. Yeah. Like, everything's so subtle. I think I probably before would have – I think before I thought it – before I was convinced that Kendall was going to die. Um, yeah. I thought he would – I thought he would – die in the last episode before that i thought it was him um but then i became like super i really find kendall to be just so fucking annoying to be oh, honest he's terrible with you. terrible I, and I, people love him and i'm like ugh. i think yeah i i, I think he's uh, as the least redeemable quality of any of them absolutely but he's the most like, tormented i think people love him people are like kendall deserves it all baby girl like ugh. what I know. Oh, see, see, again, I'm not part of the – I wasn't part of the discourse, so I don't even know. You're not the only one who – not everyone thought that, but there, there's definitely like a Kendall Roy loving faction who just like they feel for him the most. And Shiv, really reflective of real life, got the harshest treatment. Like people think she's the absolute worst. Oh, really? Yeah, and then everyone's like love Roman except he uh, supports the fascist. That's kind of the – yeah, Roman's consistently the comedic relief. His acting was brilliant in the episode where Logan dies. I hope he wins the best actor uh, at, you know, what's it called? Emmy. The Emmys, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's up for best supporting, I think. Against um, Jeremy Strong. Wait, were you, um? so because you came into the conversation later, a big, were you like aware of the Jeremy Strong discourse he was like method on the set and took everything really seriously and everyone fucking hated him. I didn't know it. that about the set dynamic, but I knew he, he his interviews were slightly insufferable with like really big words and he like kind of was in character. Yes, 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 yes. It made sense <laughs> dramaturgically. So after the third season, Jeremy Strong's method became a big conversation and Brian Cox would constantly like rib him in the press. So it's it, funny. So there, so there's this sort of like overlap between Jeremy Strong and Kendall Roy that I think where you stand on Jeremy Strong is almost kind of how you feel about maybe kind of how you feel about Kendall. There's this there's this long New Yorker piece about how he just takes himself so seriously, and 
it seems just really unfun. Oh, I know honest. what I'm doing tonight when I can't sleep. Um, I need yeah. I need a Jeremy Strong deep dive because you do. I, I think I think Kendall. Um, he was given a lot of the most inadvertent comedy. Like Roman's kind of obviously funny. Some of the stuff Kendall would do that was just so cringy, um, especially in his era of trying to be like more of a contrarian woke alternate that Fuck wanted to patriarchy. get interview on Z way that or like his birthday party <sighs> in the ra- or the rap to Logan like a lot of that stuff I think is probably what made people oh I just think he, he was given good scenes um, oh my god but, what about living plus where he oh when he, the clouds guys these aren't these aren't the clouds I saw in Berlin it's like <laughs> right and the, like, the level of earnestness in his delivery is just like so real it's so real and he believes his own bullshit um and I did, speaking of hint dropping to our spouses, I like really strongly suggested to Greg that I was interested in a black cashmere baseball cap. I did not get one. I don't think he picked up on it, but I love Kendall Roy's black cashmere baseball cap. <laughs> oh my God. He, oh, oh yeah. I mean, that's a hard hint to, it's six, uh, it's $600. Oh which my Which isn't God. as much as I thought it would be. All, all I ever want is for the characters to connect and for, I like happy endings and I like moments of, of where people show their softer side. And I, I just loved the meal fit for a King scene so much when they finally came together. And like, I was so relieved. And then for that to be turned on me in the scene where Kendall makes Romans, he digs his shoulder. Whatever, oh. into it. I was like, what the fuck am I watching? How did you interpret that? Because no one interpreted how I interpreted it. I, I was horrified by that whole final scene in the conference room being like, okay, so I guess the takeaway is like, Kendall is actually ruthless, evil. And I think his siblings turned when he was like, no, I didn't kill that guy. And it's like, okay, you and you actually can were vulnerable. We had a moment. We forgave you. And it just kind of showed us. So I think to me, I was just like, oh, no, he's true. It's a sick thing of where he's allegedly doing a good deed for Roman so his eye looks worse so he doesn't have to go to that the thing he was trying to get out of right wasn't he like I'm doing yeah, you a people, favor trying to make it worse yeah everyone seemed to believe that that was like the interpretation but no. I still don't see how that's the interpret I don't see it like even though the creator I feel like may have even suggested that I'm like what it felt extreme that's insane Rel- Relative Sorry. to a lot of Kendall's crimes like it, interpersonal crimes like they're it usually verbal yes it was too physical to be like helpful in the way that like yeah. they wanted to act like it was. And maybe that's the point is that he thought it was supposed to be helpful and it wasn't. But um, so, okay, Meal Fit for a King. That was actually the last episode that they uh, filmed of the, right, of the last whole. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they shaved Jeremy Strong's head so he could disconnect from the character after. Like he's, <laughs> Wild. Just, he's just like a lot. And I think that Brian Cox was like, you got to go act like you don't need to become my son. Yeah, right. And yeah, this is interesting. But, but I, I, I think I still I still am, I, I love to read actors and directors or watch them talk about their craft in a way that's borderline pretentious and insufferable. Like I'm into it. I, I want to hear about your method. And and I, I am on board with a lot of the the succession writers, directors, like vision and what they were trying to accomplish. But I still think that that final scene was disproportionately barbaric to what was usually just psychological warfare and verbal assault that I don't understand why that had to happen. Unless the point was Kendall's like legitimately a monster. Maybe he's the most similar to his dad. I don't know. 
I think no, he I think that the most similar to the dad, like who cares? Like is Logan yeah, Roy really, really that great? Like he he also did a lot of fucked up shit. He, yeah. he put the company in debt. That was how the whole thing started. Yeah. It's like that was bad. Um I think that okay, to your point, maybe it's not supposed to be a reflection on who Kendall was the whole time, but how he had lost his humanity in the pursuit oh, of this. Yeah. Because his father had just died. He sees his name on the because the, uh, the whole season supposed to be informed by him seeing his name underlined or crossed out. That was a fun day of discourse. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that, I think, was supposed to be like almost the turning point where he was he starts to like lose his humanity. And the culmination of that is him refusing to ad- walking back that he had killed someone, even though he admitted it and supposedly you know had remorse and you know done repented i think the idea was that like he lost that yeah and that was like the culmination of his loss of humanity interesting huh yeah i could definitely see that and and the other like um thing that i i was looking into that i find fascinating is that okay like I love a turn of phrase. I love a figure of speech. I love a, a bloated metaphor. But the <laughs> way the the Roy's talked, I didn't understand. They their speech was weird. Like their their metaphors were weird. And then I and then when I was watching through the second time, you kind of were like, oh, it's almost that thing where the way someone who's kind of in a position of power or who you would assume is really smart speaks in a very convoluted way that you feel too stupid to follow up on or interrupt so you walk away having no idea what you talked about but they sounded really intelligent the whole time you just nailed something that i have been i've had my mind on since kathy hilton was on beverly hills and and this is something that i've learned is that this is probably like the one of the ways in which they most nailed like rich people script what i've realized it's not yet people who are rich and powerful they just speak in suggestion and I I think I don't know what it is but I've now caught on to that as I mean mostly I'm observing this in pop culture so you know I don't really like know people who are like this but I now and now I'm noticing I'm like yeah they don't they just hint at what they want they suggest it so as not to have anything like too concrete too too in writing too specific they don't want their hands on dirty yeah metaphorically right and there is like this great like almost i i feel like in the steve jobs book they called it like the reality distortion field you're creating this this reality by not ever making it real and specific yes and it's like the lawyers will handle that for us (laughs) In, in like any way it goes, they can say they did or did not say or do something. And the, the, the it was always confusing to me, I think, how they sounded like they were really with it and they understood what was going on. Yet the whole point was that they were all grossly underqualified and like making pretty bad decisions. But in the room with them, you would think that they were capable because they were able to present as capable. Well, I think it's like they the kids were really good at imitating imitating logan yeah but on the outside but they didn't understand why he did anything he did so it was like they knew how to act they knew how to project logan-y vibes but they didn't they weren't projecting them to any particular end it was just like this is how dad would have acted 
not how dad would have handled it. So it's just yeah. like we're oh, fronting yeah. this, but it's they don't know why he did though he did anything. They don't That's, really understand. Yes. And they did always say like, well, this is what dad would have done. But yeah, so they would perform as him, but not really understand the intent. Yeah. And like it's bomb. just we're projecting him, but we're mm-hmm. not like why did he act that way? I, I saw somebody say, I think there was maybe a Vulture Variety article kind of a, echoing this sentiment about the way they spoke. And I think somebody brought up that, like, if you rewatch it, Logan speaks so much more directly than any of the kids do. And, um, like, they've kind of learned these speech patterns to sound intellectual and qualified, and they've never had to actually be actionable or follow through on anything. And that Logan's speech is actually not that similar, um, and it's uh, that's on purpose. Like, he has a level of clarity and actionability to what he says. And then, like, Kendall literally says, what are words but, like, complicated airflow at one point. Like, he doesn't even view words as having any meaning. And I was like, oh, I didn't even pick up on that. He literally says, like, his word means nothing. Yeah, no, they it, – it's funny. What – they're basically putting Logan through like a chat GPT model and that's what they're coming out with. It's like, you, yes. that's, like they're, like they're, they're, they're doing a cheap, meaningless version of Logan. Yeah. Logan, cause it seems like Logan isn't saying anything. If you think about, I think one of the most apparent scenes where this happened was in Lake Como Italy again Mm -hmm. when they go and Roman goes with him to Alexander Skarsgård and they talk about they're trying to talk about who's going to acquire who and never do they say so I'll acquire you and not you acquire me but speak in these like suggestive comments that mean something to the two of them but Roman is just like watching and is like "Uh, uh, what just happened because they don't know what the fuck is going on so true. And, they, and as yeah. a viewer at the time, I was like, what just happened? But th- that's the whole point is that nothing they know. happened. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> nothing happened, but an understanding was exchanged about what will happen. Yes. And that's because Logan's really doing it. But the kids are just talking. And it, it, I think, too, some of the in- – I mean, I think the cinematography and, like, the shakiness, the weird angles, so they show people's reactions in the room, not always the person talking – that's interesting, but like, I thought one thing that was pointed out in one of like probably the video essays I watched was that they never ever look at the view. <laughs> they I mean, never yeah. they never admire a thing or a place that they are. Whereas you, the viewer, are like, holy shit! Like this boat, this vista, this thing, this that. They just they're never in the moment. They're always talking about the markets, the people as capital. They're just everything's so transactional that. They use to maintain their power and this wealth that enables them to have these experiences that they could not give a shit about. Yeah, it's not even just the view. It's nothing, nothing about their environment, their clothing, their possessions. None of that is ever acknowledged. It's just taking place in there. Yes. And I think that is part of the point is that it's like this is just normal for them. Like right. they don't dress in any exciting way, but you know they're – it's $3,500 a pant leg. Okay, to your point about like the shakiness and the way they um, filmed it, I think part of that is because of the acting quality of these, of the cast is just, was just so high. And they almost, I think, filmed it like a, pl- like the, as if they were performing a play. And these people just knew so much of what they were doing and they were down to like improvise a little and like, play along and and I think that that's something you can really only do when you have people who really know how to act 
what what technically. And the fact and, that most of them yeah. aren't even American. I mean, it's that's just because like, they aren't American. <laughs> it's well, even I think that realizing a Tom was Mr. Darcy and then realizing he's British, Tom's voice is obscure. And he does have one of those over emphatic American accents that do sound weird, but it works for that character. But like yeah. Shiv and Logan, like so believable to me for I, I like. Yeah, I think I wonder they're, if. I wonder if because they were not Americans, they're able to see the like ways in which Americans are jokes. And these hmm. people who they were trying to mock are kind of jokes. And yeah. it made it easier as an outsider, especially as a Brit or, you know, coming from another English speaking country that yeah. has opinions about America. You're able to like embody this sort of clown example of the person you're playing. And they kind of speak in... um. It was also pointed out that in in interpersonal dialogue, there's so much hesitation. They'll be like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they kind of uh, slip up on their words and are very, they're not as eloquent conversationally, but then they speak in soliloquy and, like, long-form kind of speech styles when they're not having to exchange with people, but they're really clunky <laughs> in exchanges. Yeah, anyways, I, I love the behind-the-scenes so stuff good. of what they do on purpose, and um, I... Yeah, the last few episodes, I mean, the episode where he dies is just like so, so brilliant and so done in such an interesting slow burn of a way that it's not even as a viewer, there's this like moment. It's kind of like how it would feel in real life. Like, wait, what? Is this real? Is this happening? Is this? I, I don't know. It, was so it good. felt so real, that scene. I mean, that the whole that Honestly, it is a groundbreaking show. It is. I feel grateful that we got to watch this like this is something like succession makes me feel like optimistic about life i i know that doesn't make sense in terms of the content but like that there can be such amazing art created and that there can be like new ground broken and that i can be entertained in new ways yeah. that will stick and itch my brain and make me feel so excited to be alive i don't know is that like weird that's I know what we're i thought just... about the first season of white lotus it, the Same. most basic of story feel. and settings with layers to unpack and stories told differently that we've seen a million times agree that's how i feel about both seasons of white lotus and just it makes i i realize i live for this i live for when there is a moment like this where there's i mean we get it with stuff like pop culture too but it, it, real people i mean but when there's just something that's so good, yeah. Taylor Swift's music, for example, yeah, I'm like, thank you for being alive and that I, you have given me these feelings and you have written this brilliance. I love you. And that's just how I feel. Agree. And and for those of you out there who also were on the Suits train on Netflix, oh, the Suits sorry. Renaissance, that has become the most... It, it, there's some stat like it is the most streamed thing on Netflix now more so than Friends apparently which is hilarious to me because I watch I started Suits after Succession it is hilarious how a USA procedural drama what reads after watching an HBO scripted because it's comedic like everything's like I'll fix it I make billion dollar <laughs> deals for breakfast it's catchphrases yeah. and it's boss baby and it's so bad and that it's good and I think you would get a real kick out of Suits Okay, I I do want to do that because, okay, I know we're like at the end in theory of this podcast, yes. I think, because we've been <laughs> talking for a really long time. But this fits into something that I've been talking about for a few months now, which is like the bad, good, good, bad scale. Yeah. And it's like, Suits is bad, good. Yes. 
Succession is good, good. Yes. Uh, and then there's what's like what's like good bad. Um, Tell me lies is good bad. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Like, is that the show about the college couple? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was like too uncanny of our yes our yes, years. Yes yes yes. Yeah, good bad. You you get interesting. It. There's it's a like, matrix. Yeah. The thing that is the second word is what it really is. The first word is what it was intended to be. Ah, right, right, right. I love that. Yeah, you know Danny Pellegrino? Yeah, I he, love him. He says like five stars, one, five stars and one star. Oh, I've uh, not heard that. Which I, I, it's how I think we think of like Hallmark movies and stuff like yeah. that. And once Suits, once I thought of Suits as like, I'm watching this on Lifetime or I'm watching this on Hallmark, then I was obsessed with it. But to your point about the intent mattering, it's kind of like, am I supposed to be taking this seriously? And that's how it dictates how I think it's good or bad or not. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It, it changes because what they're going for matters. Yes, precisely. And like a procedural is just to be taken at kind of face value on the USA yeah. network. Like it's not supposed to be transformational. Right, and it's not supposed it's to be, be the stuff... Right. It's not supposed to be the stuff of like Sunday night appointment television where we then six people, 60 people have podcasts analyzing every frame and, you know, interviewing the people. It's just not the same thing. You're looking for a different type of leisure. Exactly. Exactly. All leisure is valid. All leisure is valid. That should be our tagline. (laughs) I mean, except for some leisure harmful leisure yeah harmful leisure obviously i also don't love like drag racing you know (laughs) risky leisure risky leisure (laughs) right kite surfing yeah heli skiing (laughs) wait before we leave um right before we got on the phone taylor swift announced her vault tracks do you have any thoughts on them are you excited how are you feeling i am so 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 excited the slut thing was funny is it her first Um, song with an exclamation point me has an exclamation thank you. mark. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Forgot. I hope, um, I, I, I'm dying. I am so interested if Slut is like an on-the-nose double standard anthem like The Man or like what its angle is. My my guess has, from the first second, I people su- suggested that would, that it would be an on-the-nose, The Man type, yeah. Mad Woman. In yeah. that oeuvre. Is that how you say it? Oeuvre? But like oeuvre? Mad Woman is a great example of it being very artfully done and whereas the the man is more on the nose it's a little more campy Camp. it gets its point across but it's campy yeah and she both. can do both in glitter pen and what does she got quill like it's not yes. I think she does it on purpose like some are easily digestible some are a little deeper right exactly and i think mad woman would be good good and yes uh the man would be bad good <gasps> wow Oh my God, we could do this Matrix with and all of her songs. Could do everything. And here's the thing, like she can thrive in either one. The man has great lyrics. I love the lyrics of the man. Is it like the tune that's of my favorite song? No, but it. I don't care. She has lots of songs and I'm happy to listen to all of them. Right. And they're beautiful. They're just beautiful forms of expression. At my live at track five, I my live show. I had a, a slide I would show that I called the "Should Have Said No Body No Crime" diagonal of Taylor <laughs> Swift revenge anthems, and how there's this there That's half her revenge anthems anthems I can't stand, and half I think are so cunning and brilliant and hit like, and they're and kind of discerning why I feel that way because yeah, sometimes the campier ones just are like bad blood. I hate bad blood. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I didn't like Bad Blood until I saw it at the Eras Tour. And now what I think about it as is that performance. But like, I didn't care for it before. And I actually felt the same way about Shake It Off. And then and I saw 22. her. And perf- what A lot. The whole Red part. Yes, I wouldn't so have much. been like, please play those songs from Red. But she was so good. And seeing her have fun performing them. Yes. Made me love Shake It Off. I agree. I, I changed my tune about most of the hits that I that are skips for me. Same. You need to calm down. Love. Oh, my God. That was like so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The I could Rainbow do a whole. bracelets. Oh, I know. We could do, we could do a whole Eras am... Tour length conversation about Eras Tour probably. We we should at some point. Um, <laughs> it's 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 needed. Um, After we hella ski in Stockholm and go to the Eras Tour. No, we're going to bunny slope. in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bunny slope. You know, we could go from Stockholm to Italy. Yeah, I'm going to, we could bunny slope, bunny slope. Look, it's okay. greens, bunny slopes. It's just, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, hot chocolate. I'll blow out my knee. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Well, Sammy, it is always, it's always like a delightful, cozy opera ski debrief with you. I'm yes. so grateful anytime you come on the pod. We covered so much ground. I know. Like this is the most productive <laughs> ever. This is incredibly productive. We just I got a, yeah, I got everything off my chest, off my desk that I needed to talk to somebody about. <laughs> yes, it's like a time capsule of September 2023 right now. Yes, we just did precisely. Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love talking to you. You make me smarter and more sharp and interesting. Oh my gosh. Likewise. That's really nice of you to say. And where can people find you uh, if they haven't already? You can find me at Sammy on Instagram, at Sammy Sage Says on TikTok. I'm on the threads. I'm on every, you know, everything. Betches. The Betches podcast. Oh, the Morning Announcements podcast. The Betches podcast. And where did you do your succession recaps if people are interested? That was on, that was in, within the Betches podcast feed. Okay. If you scroll back to like the, the weeks when Succession was on, I think it was like April, March, April, May. Okay. There, there will be bonus episodes there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I miss you already. All right, you guys. Thanks to Sammy. That was so much fun. Don't forget to support our sponsors, Osea, Butcher Box, Ritual. Liquid IV. We are so grateful. They are keeping this independent show afloat. And I am so grateful to those of you that subscribe to Patreon as well. That is where all I've put all of my mom thoughts and did a six-week update on basically the village for hire and the things I've paid for that I think are and aren't worth it as a new mom, you know, who doesn't live a lot around a lot of friends and family, if you're interested. Also did my eight passengers kind of snorkel last week about the whole Sherry Frankie situation. There's all sorts of stuff on there if you're interested, like 200 bonus episodes or something. Other than that, just coming back each week, rating and reviewing five stars, sharing with a friend, tagging on Instagram at Kate Kennedy at Be There in Five. So tremendously helpful. If you want to pre-order my book, that's my last shameless plug, One in a Millennial, you can do so on, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever books are sold. There's a link in the bio. And I'm so grateful for the privilege of your time. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.